Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, each year, medical students from the Munn Medicine Adventure Sports Club run or hike up the historic Signal Hill Trail in St. John's every day for the month of October in support of a local charity. Well, this year, they're fundraising for Thrive, which is part of Newfoundland and Labrador's Community Youth Networks, or CYNs, who support at-risk youth and young adults by addressing gaps in service, building community partnerships, increasing awareness of existing programs and services, and conducting outreach to some of our most marginalized individuals in our community. Now, Thrive's mission is to assist vulnerable individuals achieve their full potential. So today we're talking with two students involved with the Mun Med Adventure Sports Club, Justin Billard and Matt Miller, and why they're raising funds for this amazing cause. But first, let's check in with the Executive Director of Thrive, Angela Crockwell, about their role in the community and how they're helping those that are quite often the most vulnerable. Let's check it out. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad you could join us today. We're talking today about the Hills for Humanity fundraisers that the medical students are doing, but you are the Executive Director of Thrive. Can you tell me a little bit about your organization and how it came to be? Sure. So Thrive uh, has been in existence for a little over 20 years, and we originally and really started as a anti-poverty uh, organization uh, specifically targeting young people um, who were, were marginalized and struggling with poverty issues and all that that entails. And since obviously over the 20 year period, we have certainly expanded and grown our operations, but that is really the starting point for us. Mm -hmm. And you guys focus specifically on youth. And, you know, when you think about poverty, how does this program define at-risk youth and young adults? Like what constitutes somebody to be identified as somebody who needs some assistance? So for us, we think about young people who are facing marginalization uh, or have certain vulnerabilities. And that really kind of goes across the spectrum. Obviously, poverty is certainly a common thread that we um, we see for all the people that we support, regardless of the program or service that we're helping them with. Uh, poverty is certainly a huge um, factor. And you're right. Um, poverty certainly uh, impacts young people and children, as well as obviously adults and, and senior citizens. But we also think about other types of um, issues that can really impact uh, people. So, you know, from racism and sexism and transphobia and homophobia, um, but also, you know, we're very aware of adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts people over the long run. So I would say one of the common things that I've certainly learned over my 20 plus years here is trauma is such a predominant factor in impacting people's uh, economic, social, physical well-being. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the social determinants of health pop up a lot in this show. Uh, talking about marginalized populations as well. People are basically starting a race way behind the starting line, but everybody else has a bit of an advantage sometimes. And I guess the question would be, like, how big is the problem here in St. John's? But who do you work with and how big of a, an issue is it? 
So for us, you know, we are supporting in um, the ballpark of 700 plus individuals annually. We don't solely focus on just young people, depending on our the service. So our street reach program, which is street based outreach, obviously, if we have volunteers and staff out on the street, we're not asking what people's age are, is. So we're helping whoever we see in that program. Um, I know when we look at like statistically, um, in in the last number of years, the poverty rates have actually decreased. And I think that's a direct result of some of the federal um, supports that we've seen through the pandemic. So I think it's a, it was like a slight little bit of a dip. But I think obviously, as we come out of the pandemic and we see the impacts on housing and inflation and you know, our power bills, I certainly expect those numbers to increase. And I'm quite concerned about uh, how people are going to manage in the coming years, because I think there's real pressures on people. Mm-hmm. And that's right. So, okay. So, so we're hitting on some of the, some of the major underlying factors here. We've mentioned, you know, that uh, the cost of living is going to be one that marginalized populations are one that people that may be discriminated against or other things, you know, what are some of these uh, underlying factors that lead specifically to the, the, the people that are coming in through your doors? Like, uh, you know, if you were to say, if somebody's listening and say, okay, I'm having challenges, who, who could walk through your doors as somebody could get some help? So for us, um, we really do serve a very broad population and um, obviously targeting um, young people through to adulthood who are struggling with. So the most common issues that people are reaching out uh, to our organization specifically for is education services and supports, mm-hmm. uh, housing and homelessness. We also see you know, the number one issue that people are dealing with consistently and um, it almost never changes year over year is mental health and substance use. But physical health is actually always pretty close to our top five as well. And then there's the the byproduct of those experiences, food insecurity, lack of access to transportation. So when people are really challenged by those issues, we have uh, some really creative programs and services and staff that we can link to try to help people address those. Yeah, when I think about the number of people you say there's over 700 people you deal with, that's a significant chunk of our population. You've got educational resources, which you mentioned. Is this geared to help supplement the fact that some people may have limited access to education, or are you teaching them specific skills that they can't gain through the formal education system? So our education program was developed as a direct uh, response to what we, uh, we've seen as a clear gap in service. And so it's specifically for young people who weren't successful in the mainstream school system, who had left that system and really still wanted to pursue their education. So we're probably the only one that I'm aware of that does foundational literacy and numeracy for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the literacy is either like early childhood or adult literacy. And there was, excuse me, really uh, nothing available for that 16 to 18 population. Mm -hmm. So we're doing foundational skill development, but we also help people obtain their uh, GED, their general education diploma. So we have a preparation and testing program. And I will say that education piece um, is not just solely about 
again, obviously helping people develop the skills, but it really is also about helping people regain self-confidence and understand that even if people weren't successful in the mainstream school system, it doesn't mean they're not bright enough to go on and get their GD and go on to post-secondary and gain employment. So I always feel like our education program is can really be a, a game changer for people. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about things like substance abuse and mental health challenges and, and sort of break through some of these invisible barriers that hold people back, what other programs specifically are you uh, helping people with? So we have um, a street reach program and um, that offers both drop-in services daily. We also are out on the streets um, on a regular basis, particularly in the downtown core, connecting people with uh, like at street level. Um, And we have a number of staff uh, assigned to be what a lot of people would refer to as like case managers. We call them support coordinators. For people who are really struggling with complex issues, we can match somebody to a specific staff person and then they'll help them navigate really what it is that they feel that they need in those moments in time, whether it's housing, whether it is, you know, addressing mental health or substance use. It's also a harm reduction service. So we also um, are a satellite site and provide people access to safer drug supply equipment and really trying to meet people where they are in in that moment and in their life. Well, that's Angela Crockwell, Executive Director of Thrive, an organization that supports at-risk youth and young adults by addressing gaps in services, building community partnerships, increasing awareness of existing programs and services, and conducting outreach to some of the most marginalized individuals in our community. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Angela Crockwell, the Executive Director of Thrive, and learning about the amazing work they do in our community, including education programming, street reach, housing, and other vital services that benefit some of the most vulnerable members of our population. Let's get back to the interview. What percentage of youth are homeless here in Newfoundland and Labrador? And these programs, do do your case people actually go out and work directly with them while they're on the street, like, and, and, and sort of assist them with that? Yeah, so I actually don't have an exact percentage of the uh, youth population. Um, a lot of the data is, um, is, is more kind of generalized that I have access to. It may exist, um, but I don't know. In terms of, I can certainly tell you uh, and your listeners that the, um, the need for housing supports has certainly increased. We know the ability to for people to find safe, affordable housing is a huge challenge for folks in our community right now. Our uh, vacancy rate is very low. The cost of rent is increasing. We hear those um, concerns in the media on a regular basis. And so really trying to help connect people with appropriate housing. Um, We work very hard every day to try to find those options. And um, we have staff who are, you know, knocking on every landlord's door and every housing option that we can possibly think of to try to find appropriate housing. Um, But it is a real challenge. And we do go out on the street. I mean, one of the things Street Reach um, has always done is if people in the community identify people are sleeping 
like outside in tents or in their car, we often are the agency that gets the call. And we work with some of our community partners to literally go out and engage with those folks and try to find some solutions for people. Mm. Yeah. And, and obviously that makes people extremely vulnerable if they don't have a roof over their head. Um, another topic, which is uh, one that's very troubling to, to talk about, is actually sexual exploitation. Uh, how big is that problem here in St. John's? So for us, we really identified the issue of sexual exploitation of young people, particularly uh, about 15 years ago, and recognized there was no agency or government service that was really focused on that issue. Um, so we developed our own coalition of community stakeholders. And right now we have regular meetings with about 30 uh, agencies, government departments, and people with lived experience and really trying to raise that issue, um, create advocacy, provide training, professional development, and obviously do a lot of prevention and intervention work. So. Um, Again, statistically, it's a very challenging number because you can imagine how much underreporting mm. occurs. So most people who experience sexual exploitation are probably not going to report it through official channels. Mm. Um, but we know from just a community assessment we completed um, over the summer that this is a significant issue and obviously with social media and on the, the number of young people who are online, um, that really provides an opportunity for um, individuals who are looking to exploit young people. So we're working really hard mm -hmm. to give people the tools and resources and also supports to really try to address that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And those people, like I said, that are going to be exploited are going to be people that don't have access to those chains of communication and protections that other people may benefit from. If somebody is listening and they're personally experiencing these challenge uh, or they know somebody and they want to get them help, how can they connect with you guys? So people can you know, contact our office through email. You can get all of the staff contact information on our website, which is www.thrivecyn, as in Nancy, .ca. Mm -hmm. uh, our phone numbers are there as well. And so we encourage people, particularly around the issue of sexual exploitation uh, or, or sex trafficking, reach out to us. We do have some programs and services, but we also have on our website, under our Casey banner, a lot of resources. There's training for young people. There's resources for parents. There's resources for professionals who are working with young people. So uh, we certainly are always working very diligently to give people good information and access to resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's important. And your work requires obviously support and funding and uh, things like fundraisers that are occurring right now with the medical students at Memorial. If somebody is looking at a way to be able to contribute, support, volunteer, help out, how can they do that? So obviously donation of financial resources is always beneficial and it allows us to be able to put the money where we need it most. And people can, again, go on to our website and donate directly there. We also have, for people who you know don't have the resources to do monetary donations, um, we're always looking for um, outerwear. Right now we have a real need for if anybody has particularly like adult men's and women's like winter coats, mm -hmm. footwear, 
we are always in desperate need for those items. And we also have had some great community partners who organize uh, personal care drives like at their work or at their church or in different spaces. And again, when we think about people who are really struggling to feed themselves or to pay their rent, the cost of those basic personal care items like shampoo, soap, deodorant, razors are very expensive. And so we always try to have um, access to those resources to be able to provide people to help ease those financial pressures. So that's another great way that the community can certainly support us as well. That's right. Especially a time of need coming up. The holidays approaching. It becomes an expensive time of year. It becomes a cold time of year, particularly people that are homeless. Uh, we had initially met actually through one of the corporations in town that was doing work with you guys. So for people that are listening that have an organization that are looking at supporting a needy cause, this is one that, that definitely uh, helps our communities on the deepest level. Um, but is there any last thoughts you want to leave our listeners with before we go about just, you know, the magnitude of the problem or, or what, what can be done out there to help solve it? I really think that the solutions are a community-wide. There's no one uh, initiative, there's no one program or service like Thrive that are going to really be able to address these complex um, social challenges. I think we need to be thinking holistic. We need to be thinking, you know, the work that is being done around, you know, supporting young families. We need to have, obviously, we need to address in a really meaningful way um, poverty. We really need to give people who experience trauma uh, access to really robust services and supports to be able to um, address those traumatic events. Um, so it's a community-wide. And I would say to your listeners who, um, who are thinking, what can I do? I always think, again, be kind to people um, and don't judge people. We have not walked in other people's shoes. And so we often may not understand um, how people end up where they, where they are, but um, it's really important for us to all always have compassion for folks because we haven't walked in their shoes. And so we just often, we don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for all your hard work and the work the organization does. It was great to hear from you today. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was Angela Crockwell, the executive director of Thrive. When we come back, we'll talk with two medical students, Justin Billard and Matt Miller, who are co-organizers of the Mun Medicine Adventure Sports Club. Each day this month, medical students and their friends have been running or hiking up the historic Signal Hill Trail in St. John's in support of a local charity. And this year, it's Thrive. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Justin Billard and Matt Miller, who are medical students at Memorial University and co-organizers of the Mun Medicine Adventure Sports Club. Each day this month, the medical students, their friends, and sometimes their middle-aged professors have been running or hiking up the historic Signal Hill Trail here in St. John's in support of a local charity. Let's listen into my chat with Justin and Matt on why the club chose Thrive this year. Hi, Justin. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us. Uh, happy to have you guys. It was great. I got to learn more about what you guys have been up to recently when you invited me to go on a little bit of a hike, which was for a good cause, which we're going to chat about today. Uh, Matt, maybe you can start off by telling me what you're involved with, with the Mun Medicine Adventure Sports Club at the university. Yeah, for sure. 
so yeah, the Mun Med Adventure Sports Club is kind of a new interest group that we have under uh, the Med uh, Medical Society. Uh, so what it does, it started up about three years ago, and it was just started up kind of a brainstorming session by a couple of second year medical students that just really had a passion for getting outdoors and getting involved kind of with the community around. So what they did is they just started up this club of just getting people together to go for trail runs, go hiking, go camping, biking, snowshoeing, anything that you can think of going on outside. They just really wanted to kind of bring that into the medical school and just kind of see how, how that went. And it's really kind of grown over the three years with uh, adding on different kind of fundraisers, like what we're going to talk about uh, today. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, thank you for coming out the other week. Yeah. I appreciate you guys going a little bit slower for me because you're all about half my age. That was good that you, uh, you were, you're going nice and slow for the older person in the group, but uh, are you finding that a lot of the people that are in the class with you guys are actually engaging these types of sports that they're looking for more of these outdoors types activities? Yeah, I think that's one of the big benefits of being in St. John's is we have such a great kind of access to things to do outdoors. So like everyone seems to have some kind of interest in being outside, whether it's hiking or running, we kind of try to put on a variety of activities that are kind of more accessible to a, a lot of people. And there's been, we've been really impressed with just how this month has been going with people people coming out. We've been having great turnouts. We've been up to like 21 people coming out for hikes. So there's definitely um, a big, a big uptake. And I think people are just looking for excuses and reasons to get outside and go for hikes and kind of get to enjoy the nice weather and the nice trails that we have around. Yeah. Yeah. And we have had amazing weather this year and you guys do spend a lot of time inside studying. Justin, tell me a little bit about the Hills for Humanity fundraiser and why you guys decided to do that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um, so Hills for Humanity uh, basically is a fundraiser that started, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. The first was November uh, 2020, and it was kind of created in a way to engage with the community and increase public awareness on local health needs. And it was also a bit of one of those things that have came out of the pandemic in a way to um, encourage students to still have that outlet to interact. Um, with each other and, and the community in a safe way uh, while giving back. So it involves students, you know, it previously was in November, this year it's October, but for the whole month, we're running and hiking up Signal Hill early mornings, in the evenings, you know, just to accommodate with our schedules and just looking at a way to, you know, promote, you know, students getting out there, being active, um, while also uh, supporting a community organization uh, that we found, uh, you know, could be impactful and, you know, is doing a lot of good work. And this year so we're still raising funds to support Thrive St. John's, who, uh, you know, support at-risk youth and young adults by addressing gaps in services, building community partnerships and increasing awareness of existing programs and services. Um, and they do a lot of outreach to, you know, some of the most marginalized people in our community. And this year, when we reached out to them, they're struggling with the rising food costs, and, you know, they have a meal and snack program that their budget won't uh, last until the end of the year. So we're hoping that by raising these funds, we'll be able to help them, you know, continue offering the services that they, they currently do and, you know, contribute to that to that work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're an amazing organization for some of the most vulnerable people in our communities and people that can really benefit from this kind of effort that you guys have. Matt, why did you think this was an important initiative to support? 
Yeah, so we, we kind of had a bit of a brainstorming session just just at the end of September there just to kind of try to find an organization that we knew one could really, really use the bit of help and money that we'd be able to raise while also kind of having the resources to put it to the best use. Mm-hmm. And we had some uh, people in class who have previously volunteered with Thrive and they really kind of knew that the organization what was in need, especially, um, yeah, like what Justin said with the rising food costs. And we kind of knew that we wanted to go for something a little bit more of like an upstream approach to addressing some healthcare needs. And, um, with the, the need for the food, we really thought that was a good way to, to do that because people need good food, good and healthy food in order to accomplish anything in their day-to-day life. So we thought that was a really good way that, whatever amount of funds that we'd be able to raise, we knew would be going to an area that could make kind of the most use of what we were able to provide. So I think that because kind of the biggest push to us and having, having good meal in front, in front of you and just knowing that we'd be able to kind of help continue that, that program. I think that was important. Yeah. It's very valuable. And you said the key word right there, the social determinants of health, something that's popped up in the health accord. Justin, do you have anything you want to add to that? As Matt was saying, you know, a lot of the work that Thrive is doing isn't really important. And, you know, looking at healthcare historically, it's, you know, primarily focused on managing disease as it arises. And, uh, you know, that's what our current healthcare models kind of built around. But, you know, obviously with the current situation that hospitals and healthcare workers are facing across the country, that's, you know, clearly demonstrates that healthcare, that approach alone isn't sustainable. And, you know, in our medical curriculum and in society as a whole, there's a growing awareness and emphasis on social determinants that influence health, you know, such as income, education, housing, food security, race, culture, and more. And, you know, our program has been emphasizing the importance of understanding and addressing uh, how these social determinants have an upstream impact on communities, disproportionately affecting those who have lower socioeconomic status, that leading to lower educational achievement, food insecurity, poorer health outcomes. And so, you know, as we expand how we look at health and other ways to promote health and well-being of communities, we thought it'd be important to support a local, local organization that's currently working to address some of these determinants. And Thrive has some great initiatives that look to support at-risk youths and, you know, targeting these determinants such as education and food security. They have a, you know, they offer a training and GED testing program, their meal and snack program, and they have community outreach that provides food, personal care items, clothing, footwear, and support to housing and safe uh, um, drug equipment resources. And so, you know, we, we thought this was a perfect opportunity to kind of demonstrate, you know, how we as future healthcare workers can play a, real, a good role in supporting the work to address these social determinants. And with the current state of the healthcare system, it's going to require more than just additional resources and funding. Uh, you know, we're going to need more strategic and impactful initiatives like these that go beyond healthcare um, in the long term. That's right. That's right. And you think about the young people that they're helping, maybe similar in age to some of the people that are helping raise these monies, because there's different opportunities that exist for people. And by helping people at a young age, you maybe be able to break some of those cycles and those challenges that they may face the rest of their life and, and circumvent that. So I can, I, I, I definitely see the value in the work that Thrive has been doing. So, uh, so far, you guys have had a really successful uh, foray into fundraising. How much money have you guys raised so far? Yeah. So as of right now, we're just, we're just over uh, $2,500, which has been absolutely great. We've surpassed the past two years and we really 
we're really excited about the contributions that's going to be able to make. And, and like we're going, we're raising money until the end of the month, until November 1st. So we still got, uh, 13 days to go. So it's gonna, there's still plenty of time to even, even up that ante. So it's, it's really exciting. And yeah, I'm just excited to see how that goes. That's right. And we're going to be sure to post on social media a link for that for anybody that wants to. That'll be our link tree on our Instagram account so people can go and find that link to support you guys and what you've been doing. So people still have time to support that. Is there a place that they can go, the sort of a central location to make a donation or do they go directly to Hills for Humanity, Thrive? How do they do that, Justin? Yeah. And so we're, uh, we have a fundraiser page set up on CanadaHelps.org. Um, so they can, anyone can search Mind Medicine, Hills for Humanity. Uh, 2022, and that should show up on Google searches. But I believe they can also find it by going to tinyurl.com slash mudmedh4h to uh, make a donation and, you know, show some support. That's Justin Billard and Matt Miller, who are medical students at Memorial University and co-organizers of the Mun Medicine Adventure Sports Club. Each day this month, medical students have been climbing up the historic Signal Hill Trail in St. John's in support of Thrive. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back. We're here with Justin Billard and Matt Miller, who are medical students at Memorial University and co-organizers of the Mun Medicine Adventure Sports Club. Each day this month, medical students have been climbing up the historic Signal Hill Trail in St. John's in support of Thrive. Let's listen into my chat with Justin and Matt on why the club chose Thrive this year. We now have an opportunity. I'm chatting to two future physicians that are now emerging through the medical school and learning as you go. And I'm curious to pick your brains about how important some of the activities that you're doing are. And so the people listening can sort of get that perspective as well. How important are the things like lifestyle? Because obviously you guys are doing a lot of good by doing this fundraiser, but you're also doing something good for yourselves and for everybody in your class that's getting out and getting the activity. Uh, Matt, maybe you should start with that one and, and sort of say, how does lifestyle impact you and how important do you think it is for our health? Yeah, for sure. I've definitely been doing a lot of re- kind of reflecting on that this past month because um, there's some days that maybe it's not easy to get up at 6.30 a.m. and go run Signal Hill, but you kind of get thinking that, you know, my day is going to be completely busy of being in class and studying. So it's, it's kind of, there is a huge benefit of getting outside, going for a run, seeing that sunset, like it goes a long way to your mental health and just how you, how you feel through for the rest of your day. Um, and I think it's really important, like you said, like there's such, there is kind of been a shift towards more focus on kind of lifestyle and mental health for physicians. And I think it's really important now, like while we're just learning everything about medicine, to really learn also about how to manage your time and and have a good lifestyle. So we'll be able to take kind of this experience of how we've managed all this this month and kind of go forward throughout the rest of our training and our whole career to make sure we take time to uh, go for those hikes, get outside, spend time with friends and family. And I think that really goes a long way to ensure good mental health for physicians, less burnout for physicians, and just make sure that um, we're really able to provide the best care for our patients. Because if we're not doing well ourselves, then really we're not going to be able to, to do the, the best for our patients. So I think uh, that's kind of what I've been reflecting on this past little bit. And I think, um, yeah, I, I'm hoping that message kind of get through to everyone who's been help, helping out and coming out for hikes and walks. 
That's right. I think people forget sometimes that, you know, physicians are humans as well, and they have to have their own struggles. And they, you guys in particular, as med students have very busy schedules as you're trying to learn all about medicine, which is a huge curriculum. Justin, what about yourself? How does lifestyle play a role in sort of your self-care? Yeah, I think I agree with Matt, you know, being outside, exercise, promoting healthy behaviors, living an active lifestyle. uh, It has all these physical benefits. Um, but it also plays a big role on mental and emotional well-being, uh, which I think is a good way to look at health, not just, you know, limiting it to the physical aspect. And, you know, I think for me, exercise really helps with my ability to manage stress, um, to reduce anxiety, improve sleep, and, you know, boost my overall mood, especially, you know, when we're outside. And, you know, looking at, again, the burden that we're seeing on healthcare professionals and the levels of burnout across the board, I think as a medical learner, someone who's going to be facing some of the same challenges, it's important to develop early and a set of tools that we can employ to ensure that we're able to handle those stressors when we face them and can continue providing optimal care as needed. And, you know, recognizing that there are a lot of barriers that allow patients to make lifestyle modifications, you know, such as, you know, changing exercise and nutrition it'll be easier to communicate and demonstrate the importance of these things and build better patient relationships by kind of employing them yourselves and, Mm. you know, practicing what you preach. I love that. I was actually going to make that exact point to you guys, just about, you know, understanding it from your own perspective and having a better understanding of what's feasible for people because you have some background in that. Are you guys actually surprised or are you seeing more of a shift towards an education on the preventative side of things in medicine? I think there's definitely a little ways to go on that front, just because there is still a kind of a lack of research and knowledge on what prevention can look like, because it isn't as quick as maybe prescribing a medication and seeing a change in a couple of weeks. It's really kind of the long term. So I think it's important we kind of start paying attention to that now so we can, in years down the road, we can, can see what a huge benefit uh, that would be. And I think it's important to realize the other benefits of kind of preventative preventative medicine in terms of uh, it being like financially beneficial as well. And we can kind of maybe save aspects of our healthcare system by maybe taking more of a preventative approach. But I think we're going to be the healthcare leaders of the future. So I think if we can take on this kind of outlook now and kind of pass that along to our colleagues, I think it would go a long way. I have to agree with that. When I look at some of the healthcare challenges we have in our province, many of those are lifestyle related. We have high rates of uh, diabetes and blood pressure and cardiovascular disease and and obesity that can lead to some chronic illness as well. And and, and that sort of health literacy is important. Justin, do you think that health literacy is, is one of the challenges that we're facing in a population that may not understand what proper eating is and nutrition when it comes to taking some of those steps when it comes to improving the lifestyle? Definitely. I think, you know, when people think of healthcare, they think you know, medicine, they think pharmaceuticals, you know, those are the easiest things to change. You know, health literacy is something that could definitely be improved, you know, educating people on the benefits, these healthy behaviors. I think one thing that's really tough though, and the reason why we're kind of lacking that health literacy is that the people who are experiencing, you know, these, these issues may not have financial resources, time, or anything like that to you know, support those changes. So again, going back to the social determinants mm-hmm. and, you know, how, you know, these, these people are facing some of the biggest health inequities and they're being disproportionately affected. Um, I think that's a big uphill battle with, you know, addressing health literacy. But I think that that conversation, you know, recognizing the importance is there in medicine. Um, it's just how do we get there and how do we 
Uh, I mean, how do we do that? And I think that's ultimately looking at those determinants. Yeah. And a lot of this research is relatively new because some of the conditions that we're facing in our population are relatively new phenomena when it comes to the types of conditions we're seeing. It's hard to exercise when you're a single parent trying to hold down two jobs. And it's also challenging to get the right advice when the wellness industry quite often is feeding misinformation to make a profit. And so that's why having shows like this, I think are so important talking to individuals like yourselves, any last advice you'd, you'd give to people that are listening that might want to make a difference. Like you guys have done, you've been able to accomplish a couple things. You've been able to improve your own health and take care of yourself while you're doing something for some of the most vulnerable people in our communities. Any advice for people listening, especially the holidays coming at how they can give back. Yeah. So I think kind of back to the roots of how the adventure sports club and Hill Street Randomly started, it was just a couple people with a common interest who just kind of wanted to follow their passion. And I think just take that and run like you, there's endless amount of possibilities and uh, kind of organizations around that could use a lot of benefit. And I think it's important to realize that even a small amount of time or contribution can really go a long way. So I think that's a good little bit of advice is just don't be scared to follow what you want to do and uh, don't be afraid to reach out. Like you can always come if you want to support us, come out and join for a walk and just kind of raise awareness. Like that can go a long way. Mm -hmm. And Justin. Yeah. I I think, you know, I'd encourage people to, you know, you know, read into more about the social determinants of health, read into healthy, active lifestyles and, you know, changes that they can make to, you know, improve their quality of life. And I think, I think the most important thing is to remind people that, you know, you don't, you don't have to go run signal hill every day. You don't have to hike it every day. You know, you don't have to do it all at once. You, it's all incremental. It's all incremental change. And I think, you know, set yourself some, you know, smart, you know, realistic and achievable goals and work your way up and mm-hmm. just making a some slight changes and working towards that overall, um, that overall goal. I think that's really important. So don't be hard on yourself and, you know, just, just, just keep going. Just be a little better. That's great. And also, and, and do a little bit more. You guys obviously busy schedules, but you found time to raise money for a great initiative. You found time to take care of yourself. So I really appreciate and applaud your efforts. And thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you to my guests, Angela, Justin, and Matt for joining me today. Quite often, we don't see or ever experience the challenges some of our most vulnerable populations face on a day-to-day basis. From homelessness to poverty, lack of opportunity, food, and protection, there are many in our communities who need our help. And that's why I wanted to feature the efforts of this small medical student-led group that's doing what they can to help in choosing to raise funds for an organization that can make such an amazing impact. It's nice to know our next generation of physicians are already on their way to making a positive difference in our communities. Now, if you want to learn more about Thrive and how you can help, you can find them at www.thrivecyn.ca. On a personal note, I first met Angela almost 15 years ago, and her and her team's commitment to those that they help hasn't faltered since then. In fact, it's become even stronger. I hope that all of you listening feel inspired to give back a little and show kindness as Angela so eloquently stated. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.